Hello and welcome to Pop Screen, part of the Geek Show Podcast Network. We are that little corner of the Geek Show that likes to look at the good, the bad and the ridiculous of movies, either starring about or by pop stars. No, the podcast covers a broad range of musical and cinematic genres, from documentaries to science fiction, from country and western to hip-hop. I'm your host, Graham Williamson, Now I'm a writer for The Geek Show, of course. Uh, I also write for Byline Times, and I make short films, and I've been joined this week by... Hello, I am Robin Adams. You have you may or may not, if you've subscribed to Patreon, you may have come across me before. Uh, but for those of you who don't know, I am an actress, professional she-freak, and also writer for The Geek Show. Indeed. And I'm always on whenever we're talking about a quality movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean, obviously there's no excuse for not being subscribed to the Geek Show Patreon as it is, but the fact that you will have missed Robin talking about Nico Masterakis's.com for murder is... It, it's a masterpiece. It's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> the man, the legend, the Nico. It, it... It's true, the man myth, the master Arcus. <laughs> yeah, that's much he's better. I should have said that. Figure. But we're not going to talk about him because I could talk about him for an hour and I have already talked about him for an hour. So we're not going to talk about Nico today. No. Uh, that, that was the early draft of that song from Encanto, wasn't it? <laughs> we don't talk about Nico. No. <laughs> um,. Yeah, we are talking about a film called Embrace of the Vampire that I cannot for the life of me remember how I dug this out. Um, but it's, it's quite obscure. Yeah, I, I think you mean the Nosferatu Diaries, Embrace of the Vampire. I feel like I feel like we need to mention uh, this prefix. Because <laughs> mm, that really screams someone wanted this to be a franchise. Yeah, uh, more importantly, I think somebody just really, really wanted this to be Interview of a Vampire. <laughs> that's, that's mostly the feeling I get. Yes, um, that is fairly evident from the film, because although this is directed uh, by a woman called Anne Gossard, who is probably best known as an editor and who edited Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula, it is nevertheless a film that really, really, really wants to be mistaken for an Anne Rice adaptation. It really is. Uh, like, having shamefully not seen Interview of a Vampire or even read the book, my girlfriend loves it. But it, uh, interesting thing about that is that I, people have pointed out, I've looked around online, and people have pointed out that Embrace of a Vampire uh, not only being kind of the steamy, erotic vampire kind of epic, for want mm. of a better word, it does all sorts of things. It does the time jumping, it's got the homoeroticism of some of it, it's got uh, the quite outright homosexuality. Mm. Uh, it's it's quite clearly wanting to be interviewed for vampire, and also, more evidently, kind of wants to be Tony Scott's for hunger. Uh, which is oh, phenomenal, call. wonderful film. Also, uh, weirdly relevant to this podcast. There's probably been an episode on it already. I, I would, not. I would love to see if we've done a hunger episode, but I feel like I've maxed out uh, listeners' tolerance for David Bowie movies last summer when it was the fiftieth anniversary <laughs> of Ziggy Stardust. But one day we will get to it. Well, one day, one day, and I love that film. <laughs> Uh, but there's a lot of iconography present in The Hunger, and which is also present in Embrace of the Vampire, uh, probably because the film really wants us to believe that it's as good as The Hunger, uh, and it yeah. is not. <laughs> well, I, I think, actually, I'll tell you where I probably heard of it. I'm doing the uh, Kyle on Letterboxd, I'm doing his uh, Queer Cinema Challenge this year, and one of the categories is a lesbian vampire film. So I thought this could be it. And I feel cheated because there are lesbians, <laughs> yeah. there are vampires, and never the twain shall meet. Yeah, indeed. It's I, I was convinced for a second that there were lesbian vampires in it. Uh, because we see the lesbian character introduced. Uh, and... I mean, bisexual character, technically. Uh, but she's introduced, and she instantly starts reading things almost psychically. 
uh, of our main character. And I'm thinking he always was hinting that she's a vampire. And the answer is no, this means nothing. <laughs> this yeah. has no relevance to anything ever. I know that 90s erotic thrillers were big on their predatory lesbian archetypes, but if you're making a vampire film, the least you can do is have her be literally predatory. It's exactly, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, so this is not many things. I think we've established that. It's it's like a whole, there's a nexus of things that it is not really (laughs) managing to be. But what is it? What is Embrace of the Vampire? Embrace of the Vampire, it is my extreme misfortune to tell you, is a 1990s erotic vampire thriller starring Martin Kemp from Spandau Ballet. It is indeed. It is indeed. It's the Kemppire. Uh, he doesn't have a name, so I've referred to him as the Kemppire for all eternity. Uh, <laughs> I was quite surprised he doesn't have a name. I was I was like combing the credits thinking, hang on, I've missed something, haven't I? There's got to be a scene where His name's the Vampire. Even fake Jennifer Tilly Vampire, probably spoilers, but who gives a shit? Uh, <laughs> even she has a name. And that's not his name. I think the, since we're going full ahead with the spoilers, we should jump ahead and talk about that Jennifer Tilly cameo because it is absolutely amazing that the nearest thing to a potential lesbian vampire we have in this movie is actually Martin Kemp. It's it's true. It is true. <laughs> uh, I I was thinking about that because there is an appearance from the obscenely talented and gorgeous Jennifer Tilly, uh, who is an absolute icon indeed, uh, and appears in about four shots of the film. <laughs> <laughs> and she's she's in the opening credits, and I was thinking, oh, wow, Jennifer Tilly's in this. Love Jennifer Tilly. Uh, she's barely in it. And she, she turns up and seduces, or rather almost seduces, but also kind of does seduce, the main character's boyfriend. Yeah. Uh, and it is revealed in a shot uh, that she is actually some kind of weird transformation disguise uh, of the Martin Kemp vampire, uh, which is wild and hilarious and somehow not as strange as when the same thing is done in Phantasm <laughs> on multiple <laughs> occasions. Uh, because all I could think of is about the amount of times in the Phantasm films, and I'm not going to ramble about Phantasm because I'm inevitably going to end up talking about it for some geek show podcast probably yeah almost certainly (laughs) but there is an extended recurring thing i've only seen the first two phantasm films so far Mm. there's an extended recurring thing where the tall man will become a woman and have sex with one of the main characters and it is never really questioned (laughs) The, the sort of mechanics of it, yeah. It's, uh... You just don't question it. It's it's wonderful. <laughs> there is no questioning it. <laughs> it's you know, I mean, you say it's wonderful. I thought it was one of the bits in Embrace of the Vampire that I thought had promise, and I was disappointed that they threw it away basically in one scene at the end of the film because you know we love a gender non-conforming king slash queen. Martin Kemp's vampire. I adore that. It is both an incubus and a succubus. That's something that I hadn't seen before. I wish they'd made more of it. It's so compelling as an idea, but in in reality, that's like the only interesting thing about him. Uh, because the thing is, all due respect, Martin Kemp, you don't play a very compelling vampire here. Uh, because oh, the thing about this is that it's an it's an erotic vampire thriller. There's there's generally an an allure to yeah. the vampire, uh, but here there's nothing forbidden. There's nothing enticing about him. He doesn't interact with any of our characters per se. He's just a guy in a tower, and that makes everything more unpleasant. Because if it wasn't already slightly creepy, uh, <laughs> in this erotic thriller. Uh, the film goes out of its way to remind us of the fact that our main character, played by Alyssa Milano from Charmed, yeah, <laughs> is yeah. underage. <laughs> oh god, yeah, it keeps going on about that. She is underage for the whole film. Yeah. 
And it's like when when they say it first, it's like, oh, I'll it'll be my 18th birthday in three days. And you think, OK, this is really gross because it's already shown her naked, like by the time. They said yeah. That, think, at least and it gets the- worse. <laughs> <laughs> but you think at least by the ending, they've got to be building up for this, the ending to be set at a point where this is less unpleasant nope oh, not, no no oh, the entire right. motivation of this nonce pyre is that he like <laughs> just oh don't think i wasn't gonna drop that was that he has he has to bite her before her 18th birthday or he will shrivel up and i think that is the funniest and most awful thing ever like that's just <laughs> loathsome <laughs> <laughs> i want the- this to be like that there to, I know there is a remake of this, which I assume told Oh, there's down, a remake of this. There's a remake <laughs> of this. I, I almost, I almost, as a, as a, to commit to the bit, I almost watched the remake in advance of this. Uh, but I couldn't bring myself to. I saw the unanimously, like, negative, like, things on it. And I decided, you know what? That's enough embrace of the vampire for now. Uh, <laughs> but I just wonder why. Why is there a remake of this obscure 90s erotic vampire movie? And then I remember that Twilight was a thing, and uh, studios thought that, you know, vampires are marketable again now, you know, outside of to gay people. Uh, So, basically, I have a feeling that is why there is an Embrace of a Vampire (laughs) remake. And that's my... Almost certainly it. My answer was going to be a a quote that I found in uh, Linda Ruth Williams's seminal book the erotic thriller in contemporary cinema uh where gossard said it was made for half a million and it made 15 million thanks to video sales and you think okay i hadn't heard of it but clearly a lot of people have (laughs) i think we could say that embrace of the vampire was a success (laughs) yeah in this and only this this only this way but I like I I wanted a remake of it set just in between the original version and the remake where you just have this vampire as like <laughs> one of those pathetic guys who was always on the internet in the mid two thousands with a, a countdown clock to when Lindsay Lohan. Yes, that was the vibe it had. That was yeah. the exact vibe he had. It was really, really upsetting. And I and what makes him slightly more pathetic and creepy is the fact that whenever he's trying to be brooding and dark, he sounds mildly annoyed and nothing more. Uh, yes. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's weird because I I've never thought that deeply about Martin Kemp or Spandau Ballet. To me, they were just that sort of eighties yuppie pop band who weren't really as good as Duran Duran. Uh, but the, you have to think that he has he has focused on his strengths since this because mostly he seems to act now in director video gangster movies. <laughs> Oh, that's where it's at now. That's where it's at now on the UK film scene. Absolutely, yeah. Five million rise of the foot foot shoulder. (laughs) Foot soldier movies. (laughs) That's a fucked up film, whatever that was. (laughs) The foot shoulder. That's the Brian Yusner version. (laughs) The Brian Yusner. In that case, I would watch. I would would be telling all my friends to watch it if Brian Yusner made it. But I digress. <laughs> we digress. Yeah, and and I'm I'm watching this and I'm thinking, all right, this guy is is not a great thespian, but if he <laughs> sort of walks into a bar and goes, "Oi, this is my manner," it's like I can just about believe that. But yeah. Hearing seeing him in a frilly blouse shirt talking <laughs> about his yearning for his eternal love, can't do it, mate. There's a lot of eighties pop stars no. who could do that but he's not one of them. Oh, oh yeah. It's great. I, I love his little apartment in like what appears to be a derelict church yeah, <laughs> on, yeah. the, on the uni campus. <laughs> I don't know why it's there. It's not used for anything. And like, the, I could probably have gone and paused uh, the film and written down some of my favourite instances of graffiti on the walls of that building because there's so much but I don't remember any of it and I just remember finding some really strange stuff on there 
like it's it's predictable stuff, but it's like just it's just an actual building on a campus, and a bunch of students have written some vulgar shit on the walls, <laughs> and it's just really funny. Is it is it like cheap student accommodation? Has someone bought this thing and thought, oh yeah, we could probably sell this to someone? It's, oh, it's this is like... definitely the standard of student accommodation. It's got it's got the necessary features. It's got the <laughs> black mold patch. <laughs> I just want there to be like a load of cutscenes where he has to deal with the frat boys upstairs, just making a racket all day long. I suppose, yeah, he's nocturnal. He's a vampire. He could he could manage having all night frat parties. That was true. Also, you know, I think that maybe this uni could sell that student accommodation on the premise that it stay in the, in the building. I can't finish. I can't finish it. I can't save this bit. Stay in the building where Embrace of the Vampire was filmed. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, this, it's this a is the back. This is the building where Martin Kemp vampire touched an underage girl. <laughs> <laughs> Stay here, folks. Well, Gossard seems to specialise in Alicia Milano nymphette films, as far as I can tell, because like the only other major directorial credit is Poison Ivy Two. Oh. Which, yeah. Oh, we've got the good stuff here. <laughs> she went up in the world after this. She did yeah. go up in the world after this. I mean, uh, the first Poison Ivy, I cannot separate for my near worship of Drew Barrymore. Uh, but yeah, the the fact I don't know. It, it's one of those things. Looking back, where it's a it's a deeply suspicious thing to make a movie about. <laughs> What if we sort of mashed up Pasolini's theorem with Lolita? What would that be like? It's just occurring to me that this film is just so absurd that I'm not sure we've gotten to what the concept of it is, other than <laughs> anything. Because um... it's quite it's quite mythos dense, isn't it? It's quite ambitious yeah. considering that you have a vampire he is looking for a virgin. You think, how convoluted can this stuff possibly be? Oh, pretty it can convoluted. be. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was trying to unpick the mythos of it, I guess, because any monster movie has to have rules about what its creature can and can't do. Yeah, well, now, this one doesn't exactly have rules so much. <laughs> it does, but it makes them up as it goes along. Uh, Campfire can shoot lightning from his hands. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, in one scene, <laughs> right towards the end, as he's becoming really withered, uh, he shoots lightning from his hands and never does it anywhere else in the in the film. His Kuma lightning powers upset me deeply. <laughs> it's so weird. Because um, he, he seems to be invisible to everyone else until he isn't. It's it's true. So, sometimes he's like, I was wondering if he was like projecting himself or if he's just appearing in places. I don't know. I mm. don't know. It's a very questionable <laughs> mythology, but uh, that very. I mean, it's far from the most questionable thing in the film. Uh, <laughs> and also, he seems to be able to influence people in a really, really strange way. And influences Alyssa Milano. I forgot what her character's called. She's called Alyssa Milano. Uh, oh, absolutely. Get, yeah. She gets Charlotte. influenced into kind of, uh, you know, I mean, she becomes more liberated as the film goes on because part of the deal is that she's all virginal, haha. Uh, but then, uh, so you become more open about it. It's kind of weird. It's, it's sexual politics are complicated as a film and yeah. probably somewhat dodgy and <laughs> also very, very contradictory. <laughs> Yes, it's it's part of, I mean, maybe my head's just here because I have recently, uh, I mean, at, at the start of this year, we did a podcast on Crossroads, the Britney Spears movie. I have written uh, something about Britney Spears for Byline Times recently. So you look back at 
this era of American popular culture, and one of the things that jumps out at me is that people were just obsessed with virginity. The right were obsessed yeah. with preserving it. The left were obsessed with mocking it. Everyone just totally fixated on virginity uh, for no apparent reason. And this film is fixated, and what it feels on the concept is uh, completely indiscernible. <laughs> <laughs> we've introduced to Charlotte as someone who's saving herself for marriage, but is living with her boyfriend and like takes fully nude showers in front of him. And you think, I don't know, is this is this an environment that's conducive towards preserving your virginity? And and then we have uh the bizarre uh antics with her friends slash lovers. Uh, because of because of course uh, we have the typical you know uh, bitchy mean girl best friend slash not not best friend at all they hate each other why do they talk to each other uh, uh, who constantly goes on about how she sleeps with loads of people and is flirting with everyone and I'm thinking oh no is this film going to get really slut shamey and then immediately that character slut shames another woman and the film yeah. goes on for an extended moment about how you know. Uh, people shouldn't be treated like this, and people just are. Uh, and then the film goes off and on about what it feels like for the rest of the film, and never really comes to a conclusion. Uh, so, yeah, this is very. Uh, I was th- throughout all the scenes with Charlotte's friends. I was just thinking about how old I was when this came out. I'd have been like, I think, about twelve. And I, I was just about to go into my teens, and I remember that every piece of teen-focused media that wasn't Buffy the Vampire Slayer, I just hated it. Because it was always like this. It was always written by some like middle-aged weirdo whose idea <laughs> of teen dialogue is, you haven't had sex yet? Oh, you're such a virgin. You know, <laughs> that like, is the feeling. And it's extra funny because it's bigging up the whole virgin sacrifice kind of vampire thing. So yeah. it just feels like basically they're shouting the tropes at the screen. <laughs> and, <it's, laughs> and so whether intentional or not, it's just really funny. Funny. Yeah, uh, and uh, this is before getting into the fact that uh, her best friend of the film uh, is played by and grown, please grown. When it comes up, I know this much is Rachel True. <laughs> yeah, I had to say it. I had to say it. And Rachel True is great. She was a phenomenon in the craft. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she turns up here and is one of the few people who doesn't seem to be like sleepwalking through the film because yeah. she actually kind of does a decent job with material that she's given. Yeah, I mean, apart from the craft, obviously, my main association with Rachel True is uh, that extraordinary moment in uh, Shudder's documentary, Horror Noir. Oh, yeah. Horror where she talks about how incredibly horny Blackula made her. And I yes. just thought, you've, girl, you've waited your whole life to be in a sexy vampire movie, and they give you this. They give you this. They give you this. <laughs> Blackula isn't even intended to be a sexy vampire movie, and it's far more successful. Also, Blackula is a masterpiece, and I will never stop plugging it on things I get on, <laughs> because it's so good. <laughs> But yeah, um, yeah, she, she is good. Uh, you've got it's her and Jordan Ladd as Eliza, and <laughs> Jordan Ladd as Eliza is just—it's not her fault. I don't think it's her performance's problem, but she is written as just a psychological wreckage site, and you cannot believe anyone voluntarily suffers her company. It's true. It's true. She's evil. Like, <laughs> she is probably the film's biggest villain, uh, mm. because when she gets more and more increasingly ridiculously scary as the film goes on, uh, and her revenge for seemingly nothing other than Alyssa Milano, like, uh, just becoming comfortable in herself and, like, in her sexuality, uh, she decides to drug her at a, at a party. Which is like the... <laughs> The one bit in this movie that is actually foreshadowed because her awful boyfriend at the start is like going, What do I have to do? Slip something into your drink? And everyone <laughs> Which, like, yeah, her, the... awful, her awful boyfriend, it's like almost every single man in this film is just actually a sexual predator. 
Yes. It's real it's really, really blunt. I'm not exaggerating. It's really disturbing. And it's like it, the, what's weird is not just that the men are this awful, but when he says that all of the women just laugh like it's a big <laughs> yeah, That's not okay. That's yeah. not okay. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to spike our drink. <laughs> it's what? Yeah, and it's it's also when she gets spiked with. I I don't know. I think they specify what the drug is, but I um, they call it uh, X or something. I I remember thinking, oh, it's ecstasy, but they use a slang term for it that is like. Uh, it was probably in date when the film was made. I don't know, but it's a. It's a really weirdly recorded line <laughs> uh, because it's mixed really strangely compared to everything else in the film. And what one of the weirdest things is that what immediately follows is an extended new metal orgy scene, <laughs> <laughs> which is probably the most baffling sequence in the film and also its most memorable one. <laughs> Listeners, when we say a new metal orgy scene, we are not referring to a scene featuring the briefly popular new metal band Orgy. We oh, unfortunately no. mean no. this the other way. We mean this in the most literal <laughs> sense possible. Uh, shot at inconsistent frames per second uh, yeah. in one of the most strange-looking sequences in the film, where I'm not sure how much of it is meant to be literal and how much of it is meant to be a drug trip uh, yeah. or and how much of it is meant to be vampire powers. The film is just not really consistent, but something is happening. And... Yeah, I totally lost the thread <laughs> of whether it was supposed to be real or not at this point. The film's plot is very, very inconsistent. At this point, at that exact moment, uh, it becomes completely unclear what the hell the film is doing. <laughs> and yeah. it never really recovers that fact. <laughs> and it's it's quite impressive because it begins in a way that is not successful, but makes you think that what follows is going to be straightforward. Because I, I, I have to wind back to the beginning because I want to ask Robin, oh, yeah. uh, how hard did you laugh at your first sight of Martin Kemp here? <laughs> Fairly. Quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> it's the sort of aesthetic that even in the mid-90s you would think you can only do that ironically. I'm sorry, that's not I love his I love his Charlie Band like late nineties bedroom as he's introduced and kind of brooding uh, over like some book that's been stained with like tea bags and, yeah. <laughs> and burned at the edges. He's like, oh, I've been around for thousands of years and and uh oh oh his origin story. I can't believe I forgot. Oh boy! Uh, his origin yeah. story of his lost love, who he must return to, and and uh, yeah, the reason he didn't is because he slept in the middle of the woods at night for seemingly no reason. He just <laughs> his 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 forbidden love walked off, and he just kind of like lay there. <laughs> and then a bunch of nude vampires, like nude booby vampires, just came up and just like just like bit the shit out of him. And he didn't really do anything about it. Just a bunch of nude women came up to him and he's like, huh, what's going on here? And they all turned him into a vampire. And he says, and that's my origin story. Don't laugh. It's very, very dark and brooding. And <laughs> Don't laugh that the boob pies got me in the night because I slept outdoors. I love that his, his sort of his lost love is amazing because, as you say, she just walks off. You know, she's not lost in the terrible tragedy. She doesn't. <laughs> she just now. left, and he yeah. got murdered by vampires. <laughs> by by vampires who were very blatantly just like penthouse pets or something. Yes. I don't ask for strict historical accuracy in the flashback sequence to a Martin Kemp erotic vampire movie. <laughs> Lord knows I've been caught out that way before. But I, when they're just walking there with those big 90s silicon implants, I just... Yes, like, but, oh, that is... That, that, was, that was noticeable as, as, a, as a really bizarre factor. It's... 
to be honest, I think he's lucky that he became a vampire. He believes he's got this tortured existence. Most likely, if you slept out there in like medieval England, you'd have been torn apart by wolves. <laughs> so, like, quite frankly, I think he's got the better option. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the other weird thing about the Lost Love Strand is that it is the absolute golden opportunity to do what, again, Gossard will know works because she's seen Francis Ford Coppola do it in his Dracula. Indeed. It the yeah. <laughs> a double role. Give it's Alicia true. Milano a double role, obviously. And yet she doesn't. She has someone <laughs> completely different cast as the Lost Love. <laughs> Yeah, who appears once again in a whole two shots of the film <laughs> and is never seen again <laughs> and looks vaguely like Alyssa Milano. Yeah, like if you really squint and it's just, well, without that, his belief that Alyssa Milano like contains the soul of his lost love looks awfully lot like an excuse to just creep after an underage girl really <laughs> it really really does in fact th this film really wants to sell you on the fact that this is an erotic sensual thriller uh, yeah. and uh, in one of the main scenes where the vampire creeps into her room at night and it's meant to be some kind of strange awakening he quite literally and bluntly just molests her and yeah. it's really quite <laughs> it's really quite shockingly nasty and I'm like wait what the hell are you doing, movie? It, it's extraordinary, because, like, the whole reason why vampires are associated with sexuality is because of the subtext, you know, because it allows you to... You, you look at a film like Dracula's Daughter, which is a treatment of lesbianism in the 1930s that could obviously never have got past Hollywood censors if it was actually about lesbians. But it's like, you, you can just have him bite her and we'll register it as sexual subtext. You don't... Nah, you don't... nah. He's a paedophile. <laughs> <laughs> he just I... is, and it's very, very upsetting. <laughs> I wonder if Gossard was originally planning to do something like that and then thought, oh, it's someone from the British music industry. I bet, I mean... <laughs> I, I don't think he's like that, but most That's of them not are. David Bowie from The Hunger. <laughs> no, no. Because this is totally not The Hunger, and he totally doesn't have an Ankh necklace because it's in The Hunger. <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah, because that I... has vague relevance to everything, but not really. Yeah. I thought it was just a... I, I was watching it and I was thinking the 90s were just weird about angst. But yeah, now you mention it, it is absolutely because of the hunger, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's also plot essential because they say it has sexual powers, which means that definitely the blind dead were getting their fuck on. Uh, because that <laughs> <laughs> was, if I remember correctly, their logo in terms of the blind dead. <laughs> but I digress. That's a horrifying idea, but still more of a turn on than this film. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, it's all very, very dubious. And also weirdly, I don't know how it's connected. Uh, because in the hunger, the thing is she was alive in ancient Egypt. That is yeah. why she has it. That is why it is her symbol. Yes. She she was an ancient Egyptian princess, if I remember correctly. It's been like two years since I watched it. Uh, here, it's not really clear why vampires are associated with this, except for The Hunger did it. Yeah, completely. And I mean, vampires like werewolves and zombies are just a sort of snowball of different cultural traditions. You roll oh, it definitely. down the hill and it gathers a load of other stuff that it has on. But yeah, the, the yank is really weird. And like I said, all I could think of when I saw it was just the the 90s had a thing for anks. I guess it came in through the kind of uh, Afrocentric hip hop in the early 90s, but it got to a point where why am I saying this? When I Say was it. 10 years old, <laughs> I bought the cassette single of Ace of Bases hit The Sign. Uh, once again, I was 10. 
uh, and the cover revealed that the sign that they are singing about is in fact an ankh. So to me, it is just inextricably early 90s. It's you were brought to this film. This film called you like a Martin <laughs> Campfire from a shitty student house. <laughs> <laughs> it was all foretold. Yes. I, I have been. Uh, this this has been my destiny. Oh, you've God, been camped. Is, <laughs> you've been camped. <laughs> How has this been my destiny? It doesn't make me feel good to think that that might be the case. <laughs> you know, whenever whenever you if it's this is if this is two films so far you've got me on for where some nightmarish revelation has come about <laughs> and some bizarre. <laughs> Very, very low tier thriller. <laughs> we have, we have come across. Yeah, I think maybe that's why it made fifteen million. It's like it's not a good film, but it forces you to realize things oh, about yeah. yourself. It's, it's a, it's a horrifying, disturbing experience. Uh it. I, I don't think I can fully recommend uh it, but if I, if I do. Uh, it's simply for just how you know debasing the whole experience is. How it just kind of throws off everything you thought you know. Nah, embrace of the vampire. Embrace of the vampire will show you how the vampire's embrace is actually like ve very uncomfortable, and I would like him not to touch me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, also, uh, embrace of the photographer next door, a major character. Ah, yes. Well, when when we were talking about revelations you have about yourself, that's what maybe happens to Charlotte when she meets uh, the photographer played by Charlotte Lewis, who uh, is probably most famous uh, as the love interest in The Golden Child. But I know her from uh, Ruggero Diodato, the recently deceased Ruggero Diodato's absolutely bananas supernatural thriller, Dial Help. <laughs> I I must confess I've never seen a Ruggiero Diodato movie, but I've seen I've seen some of the some of the titles, some of the posters. One day I will watch the washing machine. <laughs> One day I will watch the washing machine. Uh, but it's the thing about this photographer uh, neighbor, uh, because here's the thing, Alyssa uh, Milano and her. Very, very questionable boyfriend who I kind of hope is the same age as her <laughs> because their dynamic is already uncomfortable. Uh, yeah. She doesn't seem to have much chemistry with him, but she does seem to want to get it on with every single other person she meets. Yeah, how <laughs> she preserved her virginity for nearly 18 years when she's like this? I mean, no Indeed. shame in it, but. Indeed. And the thing is, maybe it's just the power of this neighbour, because she's established to have like a different person coming out of her room every other day, but mm. she just turns up instantly. <laughs> and I mean instantly. She sits down on a park bench, has a short conversation, and immediately just enraptures her. <laughs> Yeah, and, and that, that was why I was optimistic that this is going to be a lesbian vampire film, because you watch that scene and you think there is no way that she is not hypnotising her. Indeed, and she does, as previously mentioned, keep saying things which surely only someone with supernatural powers could know. No, because Alyssa Milano says, surely I'm not that readable, but she is. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently she is. And what follows is another uncomfortable scene by the fact that it is constantly mentioned that she is underage. Is the, the nude photo shoot <laughs> where I'm just thinking, you're gonna get done for that shit. <laughs> you're gonna get on a register. That's child porn. Presumably, like, these photos are gonna be exhibited as part of her graduation show or something. It's like... <laughs> No, no, you can't do that. That's not. No. That, that's super illegal and wrong. Yeah, where is any kind of campus security at any point in this? Long campfire ate them. Yeah, <laughs> probably. Probably I... send them to. Oh, Rachel True's relevance of this. I feel like I need to bring up the net room. 
Oh boy, yeah. The, I I don't know how to explain this, but due to relationship troubles and very, very questionable plotting, look, I don't know how to fit any of this movie anywhere. Our first <laughs> proper vampire murder sequence, other than the opening, uh, comes when Rachel True sets up Alyssa Milano uh, on kind of this sort of double date, which is literally just uh, they leave of two random guys <laughs> that they've never met before uh, into like the, the sports hall of a or gym of oh, like yeah. this building. And it's full of nets, like spider yeah. baby type <laughs> netting <laughs> over <laughs> everywhere. It's, it's... And one of these dudes, one of these dudes who like Alyssa Milano is not into at all, just immediately out himself as like essentially Jack the Ripper <laughs> because he's just so <laughs> determined that he's going to like, he's like, oh, come here, love. <laughs> he's <a> awful. <laughs> he's just the worst. He's, they picked up some cartoon villain uh, and immediately uh, but <laughs> the camp. Pie shows up and he's just like, "Hey, that's bad. Only I'm allowed to molest her." And then <laughs> flies down and like kills him in some form. I've forgotten how exactly. Oh, yeah, he breaks his neck because that's what vampires do. Uh, and famously, <laughs> the thing involving a neck that vampires—it is do, the thing yes. that vampires do, definitely. Uh, and then he also randomly goes over and kills Rachel True and said, "No, she must be pure or something." When, when in reality, like this is simply. Maybe because Rachel True was semi popular <laughs> at the time, and maybe they couldn't afford her. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's that low rent of a film. But <laughs> it is weird, though, isn't it? Because they have to push on the pedal so hard with that guy to make him look like a villain, because we've already established that the men you're meant to find sexy and hot and cool <laughs> and funny are all and, like, bad people, <laughs> pedophiles, and drug rapists. Yeah, <laughs> it's the thing is, I was going into this thinking, "Ah, oh, it's going to be some funny, goofy film," and it is. It is. Uh, however, in in typical fashion, I was admittedly not prepared for just how audaciously wrong <laughs> this film is on every single level, and just how every single thing is. I'm just like, that's just, that's just vulgar. <laughs> This is just obscene. <laughs> I felt for a long time as someone who grew up in the nineties that you know there's that there's that thing Steve Albini said, which I always go back to, which is like edgelordy Gen X dudes like me deserve a lot more criticism for how this world has gone. And <laughs> I am I think we are long overdue the nineties to be regarded as being a bit like the seventies are now, where there's just something ineffably a bit seedy and wrong about the whole thing. Oh, yeah. And if you want me to elaborate on that point, I'm not going to. Just watch Embrace of the Vampire. It's all just, there. Just, Embrace of the Vampire sums it all up. Case closed. A movie directed by a woman uh, should not have this dodgy gender politics. <laughs> like, it's just so, so questionable on every single level. Well, I was thinking about it, gender politics. Like, I, I wasn't surprised that obviously there is tons more female nudity than male nudity we are nowhere near a point in culture where nudity parity is a, a conversation people are having and also it's, it's kind of a sleazy erotic thriller and you know what yeah. to expect but there is one shot of martin kemp's ass late on <laughs> That is like a jump scare. It's so unexpected. <laughs> oh, I forgot about the ass jump scare. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's not not since when I went to see uh, the uh, the new Rob Savage film, The Bogeyman, and there oh, yeah. was a an emotional peak in the music as someone picks up their deceased mother's rolling kit <laughs> and shows up like a, a joint <laughs> the, like, half smoke from like the 90s <laughs> has there been something which has popped out of nowhere and maybe like jump back <laughs> <laughs> 
It's like for, for most of the sex scenes, it's like well, it's it's like a nineties erotic thriller, which is that all of the sex scenes resemble some choreographed writhing that do not resemble any sexual activity that any human <laughs> has ever done. But when you see Martin Kemp's art, it's mid thrust right there, right oh, at yeah. that moment. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's it's just and there's. There's also the fact that uh, his his withering state uh, appears to be. Uh, I it took me a while to realize this, but they appear to have painted a nude Martin Kemp uh, head to toe white <laughs> for the entirety of the, the last scene. And it's also when he is defeated, and it's like, no, I have, I have, I have been done over. Uh, you don't actually see what happens to him. Actually, he fucking disappears. <laughs> He's gone forever. He's like, oh no, I didn't get to do any nonsense. Now I will disappear. I will walk off. I will walk off. If it's, only I mean, it was that simple to get rid of Peter Files. Yeah, he just he says, "Well, fuck it. Well, fuck it. She's she, she's eighteen now. I'll walk off." <laughs> it's not even that he died. He's just gone. <laughs> I th- yeah, that that is another thing that's begging a sequel. I also think maybe it's like the Jennifer Tilly scene. It is maybe one of those things where they were expecting to have some elaborate morphing effects, but uh-oh, nah. it's the mid-90s, only James Cameron can afford that stuff at Don't the have that stuff. Charlie Band's lost all his money in a lawsuit. We can't, he's not even involved in this. <laughs> but like, I... I, I I, it was only recently that I learned. Uh, I saw the film Blood Dolls, which is quite a neat film. It's it's a complicated film. Uh, I could probably talk about that for over an hour. Uh, but the thing about Blood Dolls is that it revealed to me uh, why you see stuff like Reanimator and From Beyond in the eighties, uh, produced by Charlie Band, and you think, "Wow, this is gorgeous. These are actual movies." And yeah. then you see Charlie Band stuff post two thousand, like Evil Bong, and you're like, "What the fuck is this?" Yeah, he just like filmed like, and the answer is, because uh, Full Moon lost a fuck ton of money in nineteen ninety nine, uh, and just completely the bottom dropped out on them, and so pretty much everything for the next ten years or so from them slash further because it became their style kind of yeah, uh, yeah. is basically just filmed in Charlie Band's basement <laughs> and, <laughs> and all very questionable because he could not afford anything else and Blood Dolls is weird because the villain in it uh, is meant to be Charles Band uh, right. who's getting revenge on the people who crashed his business <laughs> <laughs> and it's really weird because it's super super introspective and, it, and it's kind of I'm talking about perhaps I'm a terrible person and I see myself as some great movie mogul when in reality I exploit people and use horrible bigoted views in my films. I'm going to double down on that and not think about that anymore for the next for the next 20 years and make five million evil bong movies of increasingly racist content. That's true, isn't it? I like you. I had never heard that story before, I and mean, it does make sense of. Like after Stuart Gordon died, I watched Robot Jocks and I thought, oh yeah, wow, wow, this is a Charles Band movie which has had money spent on it. You know, still the best live action Transformers movie yeah, in my It's a phenomenal opinion. film. I have seen yeah. it. I love that movie. Uh, it's weird to see how much is put into that. And then suddenly you get to 1999 and it's just like, well, you know how I think is stop motion? Well, we can't afford stop motion anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's extraordinary, and it takes us back to our perennial theme, of course, of exploitation authors who use their house for everything. We're back at Nico. (laughs) We're back at Nico, and we have got so far off track. We have got so, so far off track of Embrace of the Vampire. (laughs) I feel like we've there's very little more we can say about there is Embrace very, of the Vampire. Very, very little more we can say about Embrace of the Vampire. It's <laughs> it's weirdly complicated and also beyond it, it's kind of remarkable and it's also kind of completely unremarkable at the same time. Uh, it's, <laughs> yep. it's such a peculiar film. It isn't quite the oddity that like .com for murder is uh, where 
every single detail is just baffling because it's kind of part and parcel of kind of that era of filmmaking uh, when yeah. it comes to Embrace of a Vampire. Like, sure, it's weird and baffling, but it kind of is in ways which a lot of stuff was then. Yeah, that's a fair point. It, it is very tied to its era. I remember thinking, particularly when it gets into this whole idea of the Kempire being being like a sort of dream figure who materialised to her, I kept thinking, if this was done in the 1970s, it would be directed by John Rollin and it would be pretty oh, awesome. It would but, be pretty awesome if, if John Rollin made it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Unfortunately, it was made in the mid nineties, and here we are. Here we are, and Martin Kemp plays a completely unconvincing vampire who's just like, "Oh no, stop, guys! You're really freaking me out by not not being my vampire victim." <laughs> he's, he's needy, isn't he? That's what you yeah. don't want in your unstoppable undead predator. Just a general sort of pissiness like that he turns up and he's kind of really predatory and and he's like properly nasty and then then he turns up and he says okay but you don't consent so i'm gonna come back in two days <laughs> and i'm just like huh i mean fair but huh <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's if it i suppose this is why the rules are so uh incohate up front why it tells you so little of them at the start of the film because if they'd said oh this this vampire is going to prey on an underage girl unless she says no uh of unless <laughs> he he loses and uh he, he spends more than three days doing this then he'll disappear you think oh right there's yeah. quite a lot of outs in this situation, really, aren't there? <laughs> it's true, and I, I think, I think if people said the concept like that, was it, for some studio producer would have said, "What?" Yeah. <laughs> like, even in the 90s, they'd have just said, "We're, we're not making this." <laughs> All due respect, we are not making this film. <laughs> it's, yes. <laughs> Yeah, but then you'd have thought they'd have said, well, you're not making this when they saw the script as well. So maybe <laughs> Probably. <you> Probably. <laughs> uh... But the Nosferatu diaries have obviously going to be a big thing. They're going to be the next big thing. <laughs> like like subspecies. <laughs> we keep going back to Charlie Band. He's, I know he's my nemesis, but he's banned from the, from the conversation. I'm not going to talk about him anymore. Charlie <laughs> Until... Band. Banned. Until we inevitably end up doing a Charlie Band movie <laughs> at some point. It's got to be one of them, right, that has a pop star in. It'll be a pretty low-end pop star. Oh, definitely. One, but there's got to be some, like, ageing country and western star or SoundCloud rapper. Well, that being said, uh, The Dungeon Master... The Dungeon Master was made as uh, a vehicle for a band. I forgot what they're called. Ah. Oh. And I'm reaching, and they're featured in a really funny way. Uh, but okay. uh, I know this one. We may have to talk about the Dungeon Master in future because it is a strange, strange film. I'm, yeah, yes, the Dungeon Master, 1984 film by Charlie Band, originally Rage War: The Challenges of Excalibrus. Yes. Oh yes, okay. in, indeed. It's Wasp. It's Wasp. Yes. Oh, oh and the no. way they feature made me gut laugh. <laughs> so we could dedicate an entire episode to that. And I fear we will. I mean, we are far too close to the episode on the dirt for me to go back into hair metal hell. But <laughs> I feel now you've said it, you've manifested it, as they say these days. It's true. It's true. <laughs> we were talking about Embrace of the Vampire. <laughs> we were, but you know, I've the only other thing I have in my notes about Embrace of the Vampire is that every man in it who isn't Martin Kemp looks like a different comedian. Uh, Charlotte's <laughs> boyfriend looks like Andy Samberg. And there's one it's point true. where he goes to a pool hall to talk about how his girlfriend is totally blue balling him, bro. And uh, his his friend, who's like pouring his heart out, looks exactly like Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> yes, he does. He does. I'd forgotten, but he looks like Weird Al. Yes. 
<laughs> you can just have a whole community of them there. If you went to these guys' frats, would there be like a Chris Farley and a John Belushi around there as well? I wouldn't put it past there being John Belushi at a frat. It wouldn't be the first time, but yeah, <laughs> there's. It it just reminds me of the fact that a film which is never going to come up on here, which I watched called Satan's Blade, uh, a weird regional slasher film from 1984. Uh, there's a guy all the way throughout it. He looks weirdly like performance artist and comedian Nathan Fielder, uh, <laughs> like exactly <laughs> like him. And it's really, really strange, particularly when he wears like a, a winter coat kind of jacket thing. Uh, and he does an extended bit about one. If you've seen any of the stuff that he's done, uh, he does an extended bit about uh, because his favorite jacket company uh, was associated with Holocaust denial. Uh, he created uh, a jacket company called Summit Ice, which makes you painfully aware of the fact that the Holocaust happened. Uh, and for some reason, I couldn't stop thinking of this when he was wearing a coat that looked exactly like the Summit Ice coat. And I'm thinking, no, no fucking way. Do you think Nathan Fielder watched Satan's Blade and just thought, shit, is that me? And it's, that's it, where the whole routine comes from. I maybe. don't know if he's seen it. I think I think he might have to see it. I might have to find a way of getting Nathan Fielder to watch Satan's Blade. I, I yeah. I, I feel like we need to find a way of doing that. I think everyone's life needs a purpose, and it's not a yeah. very good film. But, but it, I feel like it, we need to get Nathan Fielder to watch it because then he will know. Then he, he, he will know that he was yeah. in it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like a very convoluted Stephen Moffat Eva Doctor Who plot. Oh, oh, definitely, definitely, and it can only get more convoluted because, like every Stephen Moffat Doctor Who era plotline, uh, it'll never get resolved satisfactorily. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um... <laughs> <laughs> and, and he will encounter this as a result of um, a, a girl who is uncomfortably obsessed with him, uh, which would be you. You it's true. making this your mission through life. It's yeah, true. So... I'm making it my mission through life uh, to to show Nathan Fielder the 1984 regional horror film Satan's Blade about a cursed knife <laughs> that possesses people. It's ticking all the Moffat boxes. It is. It is. Well, uh, yeah. Do you have anything else to say about Embrace of the Vampire? <laughs> what else is fair to be said? What else Absolutely is fair to be said? Nothing. We're not covering the remake. There are no musicians in it. I checked. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. This is only your second episode and you're already at the stage I'm at where whenever you hear about a terrible film, the first thing you think is... Oh no, I hope there isn't a pop star in this. And when you do that, when you do it, you see, you message me and say, hey, have you heard about this film? <laughs> it's got Martin Kemp in it. You want to do it on the podcast? And I said, yes. I mean, and I always will do, because this is the exact sort of thing I'm got on for. <laughs> <laughs> it's important to have a niche, and in Robin's case, it is covering the films that make every other co-host go, Jesus Christ, no, who do you think I am? <laughs> This is this is my gimmick. I, I if something is deeply unacceptable, uh, then <laughs> I'll be there. I'll be there. It's just some deeply foul genre film. <laughs> I'm I'm on it. Well, until the next time we cover something terrible, Robin. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> Thank but yes, if Thank you enjoyed you. this, you can uh, donate to our Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash the geek show where you can hear our extensively trailed this week uh, episode on Nico Masterax's.com for murder uh, with Detective Huey Lewis. Uh, <laughs> Detective Huey Lewis, who hates computers, and Roger yeah. Daltrey of the one scene. <laughs> But uh, until then, uh, that's been your lot from Pop Screen. I've been Graham. And I've been Robin. And we'll see you in two weeks' time. 